The world that we live in is filled with chaos. We are all searching for meaning in our lives, but we often get lost along the way. We all must ultimately realize that meaning is found in responsibility for our actions, for the way we live our life, and for the people in our lives. We don't have to stay in the chaos. We can choose to bring order to our lives. Join us for a fresh perspective on the practical steps we can take to become who God intended us to be and to realize what our calling is. This is Coming Out of Chaos. Welcome back to the Coming Out of Chaos podcast. My name is Michael Bocklig. I am your host, and I'm joined by my friend and co-host Bryce Kirk. Bryce, how's life been going for you lately? Pretty good, Michael. Just finished up the semester, so I'm excited for the break and the uh, continuance of the Nativity Fast. Absolutely. It is definitely a joyous season, and we're getting closer and closer to the Nativity. Mm -hmm. It's just around the corner. Bryce and I are once again coming to you from the upper room at St. Nicholas Orthodox Church here in Springdale, Arkansas, and we have a very special podcast episode planned this time. We're going to have two guests joining us today for this episode. We are very blessed to have with us Father Michael Marcantoni and Father Joseph Collins. Both are priests in the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America, and they also happen to be good friends with each other, and they're also co-hosts of their own podcast, which is called On the Battlefield. So we are essentially doing a podcast crossover episode today, merging Coming Out of Chaos with On the Battlefield. I think that this podcast crossover is very appropriate because there's so much overlap with our two podcasts. Overlap in terms of the theme and also with a lot of the content that each covers. I would say the major difference would be that On the Battlefield is from the perspective of two Orthodox priests, while Coming Out of Chaos is from the perspective of two Orthodox laymen, Bryce and myself. I've listened to almost all of the podcast episodes for On the Battlefield, and I have to say I'm very impressed with its content, and it has been very helpful and educational to me personally. Father Michael and Father Joseph, I want to thank you both very much for taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us today. Could each of you start out by briefly introducing yourselves? Father Michael, would you mind starting out, and then we can go over to Father Joseph. Absolutely. So it is a uh, it is a distinct pleasure to be here with you, uh, Bryce and Michael. Uh, it was a joy to meet you guys in person during the uh, Domsey Diocese of Miami in the Southeast Antiochian Fall Retreat here in Franklin, Tennessee. And uh, an honor to be invited on with you. I am Father Michael Marcantoni. I'm from the Greek Orthodox Metropolis of Detroit. Uh, indeed, Half of Tennessee does belong to the metropolis of Detroit. Uh, there is not a rhyme or reason as to where the lines for the metropolises are drawn. I was going to ask about that. I'm glad you clarified, Father. No, no, no. It's like when I, I like half of upstate New York, but not downstate New York, half of Ohio, but not the other half. That's Pittsburgh. Half of Indiana. Okay. I mean, it's it. However, you all of Kentucky, half of Tennessee, but all of Kentucky makes no sense. Um, and you, you just accept it. Anyway, um, so I'm living here. Uh, I've been a priest since 2011. Um, married to Presbytera Catherine since 2006. We have two children uh, who are 11 and 9. Um, I, my son will be 12 the day after Christmas. So uh, 12 years ago, that was a very busy Christmas week. 
uh, <laughs> as you might expect. And Father Joseph and I met back at the seminary. We we were we in process at the uh, at the same time, and we both moved into the same. There's housing for the married students, and we were moving our families in at the same time. So we met day one, uh, became you know fast friends immediately. Before I went to seminary, I served in the army from 1998 to 2006. So uh, I've served as uh, I was an assistant priest at two parishes, and I was the head priest of two parishes. And right now I split my time in between uh, a small church in Ohio, we drive up to twice a month, and the other two Sundays a month helping Father Philip out at St. Uh, St. Ignatius Antiochian Orthodox Church. And I'm with him there during the week as well. So uh, we've got a little, a little uh, interesting, unconventional road that helped uh, on the battlefield to come to fruition anyway. And then there's my good friend, Father Joseph. Why don't you introduce yourself to the audience, my man? Yeah, I am Father Joseph Collins in Cheyenne, Wyoming, which Father Michael and I affectionately refer to as Cheyoming. Um, and I've been here almost two years. Uh, we, we showed up in March of 2020, right at the beginning of uh, what the, one of the college students here called the pandy. And uh, <laughs> I laughed too. Um, so, and before that, we were in New York State, about an hour north of Manhattan for about seven years, both at a parish in Poughkeepsie and then also at St. Basil Academy in Garrison and Prior to that, uh, at seminary, where, as Father Michael said, we we met. I, I'm married. We have three children, uh, two high schoolers, and a first grader, and uh, life is good. I remember distinctly when we moved in. His oldest, who's who was one of the high schoolers, was still crawling. Mm. I, I remember that kid still crawling, still in diapers, wow. and it freaks me out to think high schooler now. Yeah. I, I, I can't wrap my head around it, dude. He'll be driving this year. <laughs> Time oh, really yeah. flies. Oh. Wow. Yeah, you guys go way back. Um, so Michael and I have been really looking forward to doing this podcast episode with both of you. And we we're hoping to have a Q&A with you on a few different topics. So first off, I'm going to start with you, Father Joseph. Could you tell us a little bit about On the Battlefield podcast and how it got started? Yeah, Father Michael alluded to it that, uh, you know, his his schedule changed quite a bit in 2020. And I think most of us found ourselves with way more spare time uh, than, than we'd had previously just because of lockdowns and, um, you know, cancellations and all sorts of other things. So he and I were talking on the phone one day and we, we've historically had over the years a very good friendship and we're, we're able to carry, you know, hour, two hour telephone conversations, hashing over and fixing all of the world's problems in our own minds. And <laughs> We both, I think Father Michael initiated it more than me, but we both had an idea that we should do a podcast. And he, he's like, let's do it. And I said, okay, fine. Let's create a title. And off we went, knowing nothing about podcasting or, <laughs> or anything at all. We, we started doing it over Zoom with Father Michael on his cell phone in his car and, and me on a computer here in my office. And uh, here we are today. So, I mean... It was just kind of a fluke and, and God's grace that allowed it to happen. And we've, I think, uh, affected a few people's lives in, in a positive way. And I'm very grateful for that personally. Yeah. And, and there was, gosh, there was so much going on around that. And 
One of the biggest things, because to touch in on the themes that are so important to coming out of chaos uh, of brotherhood and sort of the confronting of the difficulties of life, which I think our two podcasts share. Yeah. Um, you know, over the many years that we've kind of, I, I don't know who's doing the math, but over the many years that Father Joseph and I have known each other, we've seen each other through a lot of different types of difficulties. I mean, the challenges that you face as family men, the challenges that come out of ministry, uh, the uncertainties that can come out of ministry. Uh, I remember, I mean, you know, you take for, for example, uh, I remember when, when Father, for example, was working at uh, St. Basil Academy and he was still a deacon. Uh, never would have foreseen at that time, you know, being in Cheyenne right now, like that wasn't something that would have been foreseen. So there's a lot of unknowns when you're coming into ministry. And we've seen each other through that. And uh, on our end are, you know, the 2020 and our early time here in Tennessee was, uh, man, for, for, for different reasons, for, for a lot of reasons, there was, uh, there was, many trials and tribulations, as yeah. one might say. And uh, so I had my best friend here on the phone and, and I had been listening to a lot of podcasts and I'd been digesting a lot of good content. And I thought about how cool it would be to do a, a podcast. And I mentioned it to him offhand. And um, I didn't, you know, I said, you know, this would make an awesome podcast. And, and I had, I half expected that to be met with, yeah, that, that'd be cool. That'd be awesome. And then that's it. <laughs> I throw it out there and he knew some of the stuff I've been going through. I throw it out there. And like within a day, he's texting me back. Hey, I figured out how to edit and record. When do we start? Cause he was having my back. He knew what we were going through. And he's like, no, Hey, you, you, you need some purpose. You need some help. We're going to jump on it. Uh, I figured it out. I went ahead and figured it out. You just show up and uh, we'll record. And it got started there, you know, as one brother helping another. And uh, we picked the title. I'll be honest, I, I had the title in mind, and it's sort of an homage to two things. Um, first off, my time in the military. I mean, if you're doing the math on the years of 1998 to 2006, um, you realize that that overlaps with the 9-11 world. So, uh, you know, I was in Afghanistan as a soldier, and I worked, uh, I, I worked Iraq as a civilian. Um, I wasn't I was working as a contract linguist for that one as the civilian job. So the way we worked, it was different. However, comma, um, I was involved with both things in different ways. And so the battlefield is very much a part of my background. I come from a family of veterans. I come from a military family and I, I received my vocation as part of my time in Afghanistan. I didn't know I wanted to be a priest before I went out. And when I came back, that's all I wanted to do. So the battlefield is very much something that's in my mind, but I'm living in Franklin, Tennessee, which is on the historic battlefield of Franklin. So yeah. you're, you're, you're walk, driving around Franklin, you'll see these signs that say, you are now entering the battlefield of Franklin. Sure. So everything that was going on in our life, I kept driving past these signs that say, you are now entering the battlefield of Franklin. So I was like, how about on the battlefield? Like, it makes sense. So uh, thankfully, he didn't, uh, thankfully, my, uh, my buddy here uh, didn't think that was a terrible title and we went with it and it stuck. And there you go. 
Yeah, I think it's a great title. And I've really enjoyed the podcast. And and Father Michael, you mentioned that we met at the Dyson Spiritual Retreat in Franklin, Tennessee, just a couple months ago. And you and I had a chance to chat a few times while we were both there. Uh, you mentioned on the battlefield, the podcast to me then, and I started listening to it soon after that. And I've noticed that you've used a lot of military references and analogies in the podcast when talking about spiritual warfare. And I think that kind of language really resonates well, especially with men. And when I listen to On the Battlefield, I really feel like I'm listening to a podcast that's aimed at men. I'm wondering if that was by design and if you feel that your audience tends to be mostly men that listen to it. Well, so like, I don't think it was intentionally by design, but it was definitely adjacent. Um, it wasn't really first, first and foremost in our mind. Um, one of our earliest episodes, uh, The Scramble, was, and, and I went back and re-listened to it, and you, you can you could just tell that like that was like our second go. Like we we, had, <laughs> we you can I'm listening to it and and everything, and I'm like I remember how many takes it took to even get what we got there, and I'm like you could just tell like this is new to these guys. However, um, that idea that, you know, you get to where we are in life, where you're, you know, you're middle-aged, you, 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 you did the things, you know, you got the career started, you, you went to school, you got the degree, you got the girl, you started the family, you bought the product, and then like nothing goes the way you expected it to, nothing goes as planned, and you can either give up, roll over, and die, or you can scramble and... Uh, snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. That was kind of the overarching theme. And I think it ended up being more, and of course our audience does skew heavily male. Like when we've looked at the demographics on uh, on Anchor, which is our primary platform uh, right now anyway, uh, when, you know, we'd skew male, but it wasn't that we were setting out to talk to men as much as we're two men just being authentically men. Like right. we weren't even setting out to be like two priests. It was like, hey, how do you deal with the scramble of life? And in dealing with the scramble of life, we happen to be two priests and family men who have got a lot of our own stuff to figure out. So it just happened to be front and center, a cornerstone of who we are. And it's like, well, as men, we're facing challenges as priests. We're facing challenges as dads, as husbands, and it's do or die. So... I think that had to do that voice had to do more with just being authentically us, but you're correct. I mean, that is kind of the space that we're in. Yeah. What do you think, my man? I think that's true. Uh, we do have a number of women that listen and they're really important to the podcast. I mean, some of them are very vocal and ask a lot of really dynamite questions and give besides our wives. <laughs> well, clearly. <laughs> And, and they give really awesome feedback, some of these ladies, and we're very grateful for them to be in the audience. But uh, like Father Michael said, the audience definitely does skew male. Uh, we have a ton of Marines that listen, former Marines, former military people. Uh, so, so whatever it is that we talk about really does uh, attract them and speak to them in, in some important ways. Absolutely. That was some really good insight from you guys. Um, so Father Joseph, I have another question for you. So in Coming Out of Chaos, we have been talking a lot about the crisis that men are facing in the dominant culture today. Our spiritual advisor to the Antiochian men is Father Hans Jacobsi, and he has said that men today are confused about what it means to be a man because what the culture teaches and what the church teaches are two very different things. He has also said that the heresy of our age is that people are being told by the culture, you are what you feel. 
So what is your perspective on this and what should our proper response be to this heresy as Orthodox Christian men? It's an interesting way uh, that uh, Father Hans put that, that the heresy is that you are what you feel. Um, I think I agree with him. Um, I might put it a different way, but I think I agree with him. Uh, we are most certainly taught that to be, to be manly is to be afraid. I think, you know, I, I think about myself, I'm, I'm in my mid forties and my, my entire life, I love women, but my entire life is like, you, you always think about what you say before you say it. And you, you might get in trouble if you say the wrong thing. So we, we, we live in this emotional state of perpetual fear. I'm doing, saying, thinking, acting the wrong way. And then, and then like we talked about in one of our podcasts, um, friendship lost, but not only are we bound to these emotions of fear in our society, but we're also then at the same time being robbed of genuine understanding of what friendship is. You know, I think Father Michael was the one who said that when he served in Afghanistan, you would see completely heterosexual men walking around holding hands in Afghanistan, but here that would not fly. So I think it's compounded by our, our, our emotional state, this perpetual state of fear and anxiety as men, and then not being able to actually have male friendships that are appropriate, uh, really compound uh, on each other. And then, then you're left with, with people that are just confused and afraid uh, throughout the day. And, and if you're confused and afraid, the opportunity to be manly is really set back. And I don't think of manliness as, as all the stereotypical stuff, but, but the things that are uniquely male. And, and even, here's a weird aside, if you go and read the Vespers for St. Paraskevi, she's called manly several times. So she had manly qualities because she was courageous. She was fearless. She was bold, you know? This is what it means to be manly. So when we get cowed into the corner and, and we're forced societally to be uh, kind of cowardly and, and we become bound to those emotions, yeah, that, that, that's a terrible heresy to live according to. It's certainly not very Christian. Father Michael, what, what would you say to that? Yeah, so I think, uh, so I, I definitely agree with him. Now, what is interesting, so the word heresy um, it comes from the verb ero, meaning to choose. Um, and interestingly enough, the word areti also comes from this. Areti means virtue or excellence. In modern Greek, it's virtue, but in ancient Greek, it meant excellence. It meant for something to exemplify all the ideal qualities in its class. But heresy comes from that verb, ero, which means to choose. So it's like truth has been defined, and, and heresy is different than just being wrong. Heresy is... The truth has been defined. It has been articulated. You have the opportunity to then correct your error and humbly, you know, side with the truth and you choose to go your own way. Right. So you can be wrong without being a heretic. You can be in simply incorrect without being a heretic. You're a heretic when you've been corrected, when it has been explained and you choose your definition over Christ. Well, mm -hmm. that actually factors really well into what Father uh, Jacobsi is saying, because when you're looking at it, 
the heresy, if you will, of our own feelings is something very much tied into what you choose in your own faintheartedness. So feelings ultimately are material. And I think where I, where I really want to dig into this is feelings are ultimately very material. So an overemphasis on sentimentality leads us into a very deep materialism. Mm. How are feelings material? Well, feelings really are, their feelings and emotions really are either uh, chemical, you know, chemical, chemical reactions within your system or electrical firing within your neural synapses. All of that can be manipulated. All of that can be manipulated by the amount of the stimuli around you, by what you've had to either drink, by how much you're sleeping, by what's going on, uh, by stress. All of that can be all of that can be physically manipulated. So when that's driving your spiritual output, you have no choice but to be intensely materialistic because your state is passive and reacting to things. And you are then mastered by things. Uh, I will have a good attitude when the things in my life are in order. I will be happy and content when you do what you're supposed to do, you say what you're supposed to say, when this line moves as fast as I need it to move, I will be kind and generous and decent and feel like being, feel, see, feel like being kind and generous and decent. Yeah. When you have checked the blocks and met my approval and the chemical firings in my brain say, I am now permitted to do those things. And all of that, all of that slavery, and it really is slavery to mm -hmm. these material things that then yank us around through our over-dependence on them, create this big connection between over-sentimentality and materialism. If you're overly sentimental, you are forced to be a slave to the material things that drive your sentimental impulses. And what we fail to realize is that as ethereal as they feel, or appear to be, your feelings and emotions are material. It's a, it's a less coarse and dense type of material, but chemical firings, chemical and electrical firings in your body are material. So what that tells us is, is they're not inappropriate, but their value is very much relativized. And so what that looks like when we have what that looks like when we have that improperly ordered. St. John of Damascus says in his ladder of, I'm sorry, St. John Klimakos says in the ladder of divine ascent that faint heartedness often masquerades as virtue. And we find ourselves being afraid and faint hearted. Uh, we find ourselves being afraid and faint hearted as, as uh, Father Joseph said about uh, saying the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, about being criticized wrongly. Why? Why I think, and he's got something very uh, poignant to say on this. It has to do with what we might lose. You see, if I don't get the things, if my, if my mental and spiritual state is dependent on all these things being ordered properly, and I don't get these things, then what happens to me? Then I'm lost. Then my God is removed because I'm really serving those things. And yes. so because that's ultimately a place of fear and faintheartedness, we masquerade over that with the appearance of prudence. Oh, well, it's safer to do it this way. Well, we don't want to alienate those people. It's safer to sort of hedge our bets. And you don't want to be too forceful because these people who already don't care might care less somehow. And it's really just a fear. 
so that so courage is is act so courage and the boldness the parecia that comes with the christian life that that is that freedom that saint paul says where he says i've learned the secret of being content either in times of hunger or in plenty either in prison or free either in good treatment or bad treatment i mean that bespeaks of a commitment to truth that goes beyond convenience, that goes beyond all of the things, that is steadfast enough to be there, even if you're being persecuted. And that's what our, that's what our faith ought to be. It ought to stand, whether, you know, whether you're being congratulated or being run down on the internet. It really shouldn't matter. But if you're locked into your sentimentality, it's all that'll matter. Um, so that's kind of, that, that's kind of that, that slavery to materialism that, that sentimentality brings. I'd like us to consider that, uh, father Joseph had something very interesting yesterday to say about the, uh, about the fear. What was that quote again, father? Uh, fear is the perception of a future evil, which cannot be overcome. Mm. That's really, that's a, that's a great response. Fathers, we appreciate your insights on this. And, And I was hoping to stay on this topic of feelings and emotions for my next question, uh, Father Michael, you and Father Joseph have a podcast episode that's titled The War on Feelings. And that's one of my favorite on the battlefield episodes. In that episode, you said that we live in a society that treats feelings as facts and treats them at a very high premium. We often hear people talk in our society about their emotions and their feelings as being their truth. And when I hear that, I often think to myself, whatever happened to objective truth? Where do you think that this concept of a person having their own truth came from? And what kinds of problems can this mentality cause? So this is where the heresy comes in. This is where the choice comes in. Because if we're looking at that and saying, well, if the things that if the things that puppeteer me around in my emotions are the ultimate benchmark, my, my God, for that I'm, that I'm serving because my feelings are facts, then my truth has to be relative to those feelings. And if my feelings are fleeting, then the truth is fleeting. And that's how we get into relativism. So what ends up happening is that you have to choose the things that are convenient for you. When you choose the things that are convenient for you, love goes out the window. Why? because ultimately you're only seeking to spare yourself from inevitable discomfort. And when you're only seeking to spare yourself from disappointment and discomfort, all manner of cruelty is suddenly on the table. You can suddenly take time from your kids or indulge, uh, I mean, you know, or, or, you know, indulge in chemical numbing or an affair or being the wrong places on the internet or, whatever else or money laundering or gambling. I mean, it really doesn't matter. You can justify all manner of things because this is what I need to feel better. Love goes off the table because it, because suddenly the way this might be harming you, the way this might be hurting you, the way my own, uh, my own exemplifying the standards of the gospel to you, suddenly all of that is less important than getting my fix, feeling better. Yeah. Because that's my, yeah. that's what I need. And it can be, and it can be anything. Hmm. So uh, you, so cruelty, 
so cruelty suddenly comes onto the table and we choose it. And, and in choosing that, that's where the heresy comes in, right? The ero, to choose. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other thing that happens is, uh, the other thing that happens, as I said, is that love goes off the table. You know, what's interesting, by not being overly sentimental, you actually open the door to be more loving. Why? Because rather because you have the freedom, the stalwartness to choose to be loving, supportive, strong, uh, uplifting, regardless of how you're feeling. It's like, hey, I am going through a lot, but guess what? I'm going to choose to be, I'm going to choose to make your lunch today. Uh, to check in and to give you a phone call, see how you're doing, to stop and help that person on the side of the road, whatever. It's like, it's about doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do, truth for truth's sake, rather than convenience. The non-sentimentality doesn't, uh, it doesn't lead to a cold indifference. On the contrary, it leads to the freedom to act rightly, independently of any sort of outside stimulus, that is the autoexusion. That is the ability to self-determine. That is a truly free human being. And that is the essence of the Orthodox Christian ethos. It's not about what you feel. Uh, if it was about what you feel, then there's no reason for Peter to stay in the prison when the, when the angel opens the doors or Christ to go to cavalry when he can just as easily rectify the world by the force of his command. You know, he didn't feel like it in the Garden of Gethsemane, but this is what we need to go do right now because love is bigger than what I feel like right now. And if love was, and none of our marriages would last if love was just about what you felt right now because man, those day one feelings, um, they don't last 15 years in. There's something else, but it's not the overly sentimental thing. Well, uh, Father Joseph, what would you uh, add on top of that? I would agree with you. And the idea of having your own truth or someone having their own truth is really just the the fruit of the seeds of relativism that have been spread far and wide over the over the decades. Um, I mean, we're we're children of, of relativism uh, today. I mean, I, I'm I'm a member of Gen X and my entire life has been my entire life I've been taught relativism. You know, the, the, well, relatively, you know, well, if you square it with this or that. So I think that, that the, the philosophy of relativism has really caused us to even be able to think in such a way that objective truth is no longer objective. It's just relative based on how I feel, uh, what you feel, where you were brought up, how you were brought up, uh, what food you eat. I mean, it doesn't really matter. It really doesn't matter. It just everything is relative and it's on a sliding scale. And because it's on a sliding scale, then then it's really up to you what you believe, how you believe it. And nothing is really objective anymore. And on top of that, no one really believes. No one really believes in relativism. They just have their sacred cows in different places. They just have their gods in different places. Because if you touch, they'll, they'll say, oh, well, religious truth is relative, for example, or, or morals are relative for example. But guess what? If you touch the things that they're actually uh, really attached to, if you touch their socioeconomic plan, or you touch their favorite form of economic redistribution, or their favorite form of personal sexual expression, suddenly 
they're very dogmatic and very black and white and very, hey, this is the this is what I must hear and what you must say. And this is the confession of faith that you must give about this topic or else you're out, you're canceled, you're gone. Right. Believe me, everyone wants to be a relativist until you touch on the thing that's important to them. And then everyone is an absolute truthist and a dogmatist. We're just more honest about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. So Father Joseph, I have another question for you. In that War on Feelings episode, you said some things that I found very compelling. And I want to quote you here. So you said that you truly believe that the demons have worked very hard to create a society in which they are dealing with people who are as easy to manipulate and to drag down as possible. You went on to say that once the demons get their hooks in, once they start to destroy the nuclear family, once they start to destroy our capacity to reason and to use logic, and once they have full access to our emotions and are able to engineer us to react to a certain stimuli, you end up with a whole bunch of exhausted emotional wrecks that are very easy to manipulate. So I think this is a very accurate description of what we are seeing all around us in society today. This seems to hit men particularly very hard, and they often end up falling into feelings of despair or loneliness or depression. And there are many people that don't believe that a spiritual realm even exists and have subscribed to a much more flat or secular materialist view of the world. So how do you think this handicaps people in their attempts to overcome the challenges that are brought on by emotion? That's a huge question. Um, I still agree with what I said. I'm glad. <laughs> Sometimes over time, <laughs> you, we, we move on and develop. But I'd like to flesh out what I said a little bit. Uh, I was at the time I was reading and uh, uh, an author by the name of Daniel Kahneman. He wrote a book called Thinking, comma, Fast and Slow. And in the book, he, he's, he's describing how, how humans think. You know, we have the reasoning, logical part of our capacity, and that requires tons of focus. It requires a lot of physiological input. It, 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 it's not cheap for your body to think hard. It takes a lot of energy and takes a lot of resources from your body to do it. And then there's that kind of intuitive thinking that we do, the, that, that autonomous stuff. And so if the, and this is what I meant when the demons have spent a lot of time. So when you turn on the TV and all you see is stuff on COVID guns, um, you know, this catastrophe, that catastrophe. Um, We have been programmed over the decades to to have a reaction to that. At the autonomous level, it just built in. So we no longer spend our our capital on thinking those things through, and then we become emotive toward it. Just when I said gun, you probably had an emotional reaction to that. Abortion, emotional reaction. COVID-19, you emoted immediately and you didn't want to, you didn't try to, it just happened because you've been conditioned to do so. But why did you emote, I think is the bigger question. And uh, there's, there's a Catholic priest who's an exorcist who talks about it. And he's the one that said fear is the perception of a future evil, which cannot be overcome. So, so you're, put into these, you're put into these thought loops that elicit fearful responses because COVID-19, well, I'm afraid of losing my family. I'm afraid of losing my job. I'm afraid of being judged. I'm afraid of X, Y, Z, 
you know, so and so on. And then you're put into this loop where you cannot overcome that future evil. And that future evil is put on you every day, all day, on radio, on social media, in the echo chamber of Facebook, CNN, MSNBC, Fox. It doesn't matter. You're put into an eternal loop of an unovercome, of a future that cannot be overcome. And the demons understand that and they use it so that by the end of the day, you are literally an emotional wreck who cannot reasonably think through your emotions because you're exhausted. You become physically exhausted because all day, every day, that slow part of your mind is so taxed by the thousands of decisions and, and the having to, to react to all of the fear and all of the emotions that are being put on you subliminally and without you even thinking about it, that you're just literally an emotional wreck. So they do manipulate that. The demons do have access to your emotions because like Father Michael said, they're, they're physical, they're material. And if you don't think that the demons will use your emotions against you, you're a fool. And if you don't think that there's a spiritual realm, I have to question whether or not you've ever sat down and had a human thought. <laughs> Humans are spiritual. You, you can't explain them. There's a mystery to humanity, which is spiritual. So even if there is no spiritual realm outside of humanity, we are spiritual, which begs the question, is there anything else like us in the universe? And you should think that through. Father Michael, do you have anything to add or, or Bryce or Michael, what would you say to that? Well, you know, before they do, it's, there is, there's the reality that if you want to break someone down, um, if you want to, if you want to interrogate someone and you want to break that someone down and break down their mind and make them malleable, you overload them. You overload the system. So like when you're trying to break someone in advanced interrogation, um, you put them in a bright light, you like, like, studio spotlights, bright light with loud, blaring, cacophonous music, just sensory overload for day, two days, three days. And because there's no rest, because the, the nervous system doesn't get any rest and you keep them awake. So there's no respite. Um, their mind will snap. They'll do and say whatever you want them to do or say. And if we know that, well, what do you think the devil knows? You know, there's that great saying in Spanish, más sabe el diablo por viejo que por diablo. The devil knows more because he's old than because he's a devil. And that's really true. So if, if we know how to break a human mind, you better believe he does too. So a lot of that keeping, a lot of that keeping the constant fear loop, the constant threat loop, the constant high alert loop on you, uh, that's... I mean, it's, it's psychological warfare 101. It's spiritual warfare 101. So if you understand that it's happening, then, you, you, then you've got to break that. So that constant, that constant neurological stimuli, that overloading, well, that's also the basis of, of battle PTSD. Dr. Jonathan uh, Shea, who wrote this great book, uh, Odysseus in America, The Trials of Homecoming which was about his experience working with Vietnam vets and the struggles that they face coming home. And he used the Odyssey as a framework to map it out. 
And he pointed out that one of the things that made the Vietnam vets so uh, experience so much more traumatizing than the soldiers in the Odyssey was there was no break in Vietnam fighting. Like you could fight at night, you could fight anytime, you could fight at 3 a.m., you could fight in the afternoon. Whereas in the Odyssey, there was a break every day. At a certain point in the day, the armies would break. Why? Because you couldn't fight at night. So once it started to get dark, we're all going to go back to our homes and set our, and set our shields up and have dinner. And we're definitely coming back tomorrow, but there's a break. Um, so what he learned was that battle PTSD, rather than being the rather than being a response to a singular traumatic event was actually a physio-neurological adaptation to continuous stress. And that adaptation being highly appropriate in the presence of danger, but then persisting after the danger is removed, meaning you're under constant threat. You adapt to that constant threat, but now the adaptation of that constant threat remains after the appropriate context ends. Mm -hmm. So what happens if you, what happens if you're, um, if you're a demon, if you are a vast cosmic entity wielding uh, nigh unspeakable power? I mean, you could do that across a nation, across uh, a globe, across a continent, especially if you had a means of communicating with these people constantly that you're always under threat. Hmm. It, it's the same basic formula as battle PTSD. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And, and I love the, the perspective that you both bring to spiritual warfare. And I think one of the reasons why spiritual warfare is so challenging for the average guy out there is that most don't really know or understand their enemy. And I imagine that your experience, Father Michael, in the military has helped you think in terms of knowing who the true enemy is and that we should understand our enemy to some extent. We read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. What are some of the key things that we should keep in mind about the demons that seek to bring us down? So this goes back to not being your feelings, because what's really interesting is that um, the early church, when you look at ancient writers, they clearly don't view thinking the same way you and I view thinking. We view thinking as this is this thing that your brain produces. I think, therefore, I am, uh, which is completely backwards. It's sum ergo cogito. I am, therefore, I think. Not I think, therefore, I'm why. Because being precedes discursive thought. Um, the, uh, you know, my son, I remember when he was, uh, he was 11 months old, he was not talking yet. And uh, we had this rug. Uh, and he, wasn't, he, was, he hadn't started crawling. And as new parents, you wonder, why isn't he crawling? He just hadn't started crawling. Yet. He got to. Well, he, he also didn't have words. And I remember watching him sit on this rug. And there he had toys on the other side. Of it. it was a big rug. And there were toys on the other side of it. And he looked at them and he looked at the rug and he started hand over fist, pulling the rug over and over to himself until the toys came to him. Then he let the rug go and he played with the one he wanted to play with. So what do you do with that? Clearly there was problem solving. Clearly there was a train of thought. Clearly there was steps in a process. It was completely nonverbal. He didn't have words. How did he think? He thought through it. He identified, I'm here, that's there, I can't go to it, I'm going to make this thing move so that that comes to me. 
Mm. It's a pretty complex thought. Yeah. Without words. So from the ancient perspective, rather than being a thought generating machine, the mind, the nous, was rather a locus of attention. And uh, Father Andrew Stephen Damick has talked about this in one of his podcasts a great deal. He's not the only person to talk about it, but he does a great job explaining it. So I, you know, I do want to give his work credit where it's due. Uh, but he uses that phrase, and it's a great phrase for it, a locus of attention whereby we winnow through this noetic world of thoughts and we place our attention somewhere, and that's what comes to the foreground. Well, that helps understand why when you're looking at the monastic writings and they talk about um, dealing with untoward and blasphemous thoughts, the unanimous response is, you're not culpable, you're not guilty. Why? Really, why? Well, it's not you. As long as you don't pay attention to it, as long as you don't entertain it, as long as you don't narrow in on it and apprehend it, well, then that wasn't you. Well, then what was it? Jordan Peterson even mentions this. He's like, you suddenly have an insight and a thought that came from nowhere that you didn't have before. Where did that come from? Did it come from your own mind? How is that possible? You didn't know it before. You weren't thinking it before and suddenly it came to you. Where did it come from? If you didn't know that stuff, where did it come from? We've all had that experience. And so even modern science and modern psychiatry is looking where we don't really understand how thoughts work. We can map out firings within the neurons and synapses of the brain, but we really don't get where any of this is coming from. Well, the ancient conception of the world was that it was coming from spiritual forces. And that's why, for example, Socrates said that he was taught his wisdom by what? An evdemonum, a good demon. Now, at that time, to the ancient Greek, demon didn't mean an unclean spirit. It just meant a lesser god, a lesser deity. But there was a benevolent lesser deity that he said was whispering in his ear. Uh, when you read through the ancient writings of the saints, they talk about the primary means of communion with the spiritual world, both good and bad, both angels and demons being through our thoughts and emotions. So guess what? So knowing our enemy. So when you're sitting down at your breakfast table and you're absolutely irritated and your son does that thing that you've told him a million times to knock it off and you are assailed by the thought that he's never going to respect you and listen to you and that you're spinning your wheels and how dare he and you know what you want to put a stop to this and suddenly you're riled up and you lose your cool. I'm not saying I'm not trying to put some spin on everyday events say treat it like it's this great battle with the spiritual world when it's really just a psychological mess that you've got to control. No, 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 no. I'm saying that it actually is spiritual trench warfare. It's not a metaphor. You are butting up against the radio signal from demons that have your number, that know I can push your buttons and get you to blow up at your son, which is then going to ingrain in him a temper, which is going to cause him to beat your grandson. And I can mire your family in destructive sin for generations. And all I got to do is get you to hand over your self-autonomy and be dictated by your feelings. Yank you around like a puppet on the strings rather than be led by the glorious freedom of the sons of God. Likewise, that little voice that also says, take a breath, calm down, go say a prayer, wait two seconds, and then... Explain it to him again calmly. Or you know what? You are too close to blame. Go for a drive. Like that's not just, oh, I had a good idea. We got to start recognizing the voice 
of the angelic power saying, hey, right now, you need to step aside because we're trying to keep the spiritual condition of this family you've been entrusted with safe. It's not like a metaphor. It's not a figure of speech. It's not putting a spiritual veneer around mundanity. It's realizing that this mundane thing going on in between your ears is in fact the trench warfare that if you don't engage well on the battlefield of your mind and heart can poorly shape your children, your children's children, their children's children until someone is bold and steadfast enough to engage the battle well. And um, I would add to that, that one of the other key things that, that the demons do to drag us down in reality, and you, you already said this, Father Michael, but through, through that, that channeling of thoughts, either, either good thoughts or bad thoughts, um, we, we need to be aware of, of our own imagination because the demons can give you a thought. They can bring something to your attention to try to, to get you off of the path, but they cannot force your will, which is why I think that they've so attempted to just ingrain all of these emotional responses, because then, then they can indirectly influence my will, because my will is just attenuated to going to the autopilot uh, direction. But, but how do we overcome that? Because, because then we're just living in an imagined world otherwise. So I think one of the key things that the, that the demons do is they cause us to believe that an imagination that we have had is reality. Like Father Michael said, his kid's sitting there doing X, Y, and Z at the table. He becomes mad, imagining that his son will become a derelict and live under a bridge with a heroin needle hanging out of his arm. None of that's true. The kid's just slopping milk onto the table because he doesn't know how to eat his honeycombs. <laughs> Let's be careful about our imaginations and cut, cut those imaginations out. And, and to the best of our ability through our reasoning and rational part of our mind and our, and our capacity, cut those imaginations out and, and try to live in, in reality to the best of our capacity. Do they still make honeycomb? Is that still a thing? What Fruit Loops? They make. Uh, I'm. I'm just saying, man. Like I haven't had a honeycomb since 1985, and I'm wondering if it's still as good as I remembered. Well, you should stop by. I've got some oh, in the pantry. I, I can't eat that stuff. See, anymore. I would have said Honey Nut Cheerios. That's my go-to. Oh, That's frosted, timeless. Frosted flakes. Frosted flakes all day long. What about you, Bryce? <laughs> <laughs> you got to bring me into the cereal conversation. <laughs> Personally, I was always inclined to a more simple uh, type of cereal, life cereal, maybe the cinnamon life. But with that, it gets a little too soggy, a little too quick. Obviously, that's worse of a mess to have to clean up. So maybe that tests your patience a little further. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like I like what Father Joseph said. I mean, none of these things, right? And that's interesting. Like orthodoxy alone, when you're looking at Christian manuals of prayer, orthodoxy is the only one that's entirely apophatic. It's entirely imageless. It's entirely non-imaginative. Like if you look at post-Great Schism, Roman Catholic works on prayer, they're all imaginative. It's all, you know, imagine this scene from 
this, this scene from the scriptures. Imagine this scene from the Gospels. Ignatius of Loyola in his Jesuit exercises, right? A big feature of the exercises are colloquies, where you are literally supposed to be imagining a scene, for, like, say, for example, at the crucifixion and imagining how it look and smell and sound and, and how the dust feels and how the sun feels, a lot of feeling, and then, like, converse with Jesus on the cross. What would you ask him? What would he say back? And suddenly Jesus' words become the voice of your own imagination. Orthodoxy is the only one that avoids all of that. When you're looking at from, from century one to 21, the fathers are really clear. In prayer, allow no imagination. Allow yeah. no imaginative discourse. Because right. guess what? That, fut that imaginative discourse quickly becomes a demon hijacked future tripping. Mm -hmm. And so you think, oh, my, you know, my, my, my wife is a little fed up now. She no longer loves me. And now we're going to get a divorce. And now we have to split the kids now. And you've gone down this whole imaginative, as you said, fantasy world that is a lie. Mm. And it doesn't exist. And now you're up in arms about it. And it's not even real. And we are monologuing a lot. I want to hear from you guys. But Michael, who's the father of lies? Diablos, the devil. I want. I was hoping you do. I was hoping you do Dana Carvey's church lady voice and go. Could it be Satan? <laughs> you didn't do it. That's a throwback. It was a layup, man. So true. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's that's incredible insight, and and it's it's very practical, and that's what I think I love about your your perspective both of you fathers father joseph and father michael it's it's practical it's bringing spiritual warfare to the forefront of our thoughts instead of just thinking that things are coincidences or that there's some kind of other scientific or uh, psychological explanation for what is happening which is truly just what we said spiritual warfare but i think it's it's really it's a really refreshing take on what a lot of us sometimes gloss over in our day-to-day -day lives. Yeah, I definitely agree. And just like, I guess, thinking about imagination, imagination will become reality for a lot of people. I mean, we were talking the other day about social media, for example, like you can present something as being a reality that obviously isn't a reality in and of itself. Um, and so with that, I just wanted to get into our next question so, Father Joseph, you and Father Michael have brought up Jordan Peterson several times, and you're on the Battlefield podcast, and Father Michael, you mentioned him earlier. You have even quoted him on more than one occasion. So, Michael and I have noticed that there are a lot of men, especially a lot of young men, who are coming into the Orthodox Church right now, and that one of the ways that many of them have discovered Orthodoxy is actually through Jordan Peterson. So, what is it about Jordan Peterson's message that is resonating so much for these young men out there, and do you think it meshes well with what the Orthodox church teaches. I think that's why people like him because his message, especially Orthodox Christians, and he'll tell you this, that demographically he has a huge following of Orthodox Christians because there's something about what he says that is Orthodox, which means then that a lot of what he is saying is true as far as we are concerned as Orthodox Christians. And I think that one of the most important things that he said is also one of the shortest, and he's amended it over time, but tell the truth and at least don't lie. Everything else hinges on that because he's calling men to be manly and to be courageous and to tell the truth. That to be a coward, to avoid the truth, 
to live lies, to live according to imaginations, because why, why don't we tell the truth? Because I'm afraid of losing my well-being most often. I like myself, I like my life the way it is, and I don't want it to change. So I'm going to try to avoid a change in my own self, in my own status, to, to, to keep my well-being as it is right now in perpetuity. And to do that, it might take some lies. White lies, black lies, big lies, small lies, what's the difference? I'm happy. My life didn't change. And if it affected you, tough, because I don't have to deal with the nonsense. But I think, I think that, that materialistic, me first, sacrifice you on the altar of, of a lie just to maintain my own well-being thing um, is incredibly orthodox. And I think that's a huge reason why he's so appealing uh, to myself, to Father Michael, perhaps to the two of you, and, and so many other men uh, out there. Here's the thing. Excellence and the strength that comes with excellence is attractive to everyone. Um, what, what's interesting is that um, across the board, whether you're a man, woman, or child, someone who has the courage to face fear and danger and uncertainty and overcome difficulty is something that everyone is drawn to. That's why the hero archetype is probably the, is probably the only universal thread across every type of story. Like uh, I, I have a boy and a girl. Uh, Father Joseph has two boys and a girl. And whether we're reading the daughter's stories or our son's stories, there's always a hero. There's always someone who can overcome the chaos and come out of it. Yeah, that's right. There and 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 uh, and always someone who can you know who can face down the dragons and overcome difficult and someone from whom we can learn. Like I mean, even in for crying out loud, like even in My Little Pony, like there's hero ponies. Like I mean, we we can't yeah. escape this. And the and it's kind of like where the gospel says, uh, "Where your treasure is, your heart will be also." There is something within us as human beings that understands that at the most fundamental spiritual level, someone has to be on deck that can overcome and face that which the rest of us cannot. I, I, which I think leads me to a great quote that I, I love, uh, that I don't remember who said it, but I'm sure one of our listeners will Google it and comment in and say, Father, that's who you're, you're plagiarizing. I'll say, thank you. Um, <laughs> and it, it says, um, I desire peace, but if war may come, but if war must come, let it come in my time so that my son may know peace. And that's the way we've got to treat, uh, we've got to treat the, the issues like, okay, you know, I desire peace, but if, you know, if, if ill tempers and alcoholism and financial strain must come, let it come in my day. Yeah. My son can know peace. Uh, I think Jordan Peterson, what's attractive about him is that the cornerstone, uh, in addition to truth, like Father Joseph so rightly said, but it's also responsibility. Mm -hmm. and so there's a non-victim mentality. There's yeah. like, no, you can be responsible here. And the thing is, because ultimately, deep down, we all treasure heroes. You can't both be a hero and a victim. Right. You can be a hero who is suffering misfortune, but not a victim. You can either be the victim or the hero, but you can't do both. So it, with him coming in and saying, hey, be responsible, even if your life is pretty much in shambles, be enough of a hero to be responsible for like just making your bed. 
mm-hmm. just getting your room together, just whatever it is. And, but guess what? You're overcut. You're rising out of that, that pit, just one claw at a time. Uh, that message of responsibility is attractive to everyone because that's the person that everyone either wants to be or wants to know. No one wants to be a victim. Yeah. And that, that whole, that whole message that he has, that meaning is found in responsibility. I find it fascinating that so many over the last few years have been kind of taken aback by that concept and, and have kind of gone quiet when he said it, even in large crowd settings, but it's something that honestly, we, we talk about in the church all the time that we have to be responsible for ourselves and for our neighbor, right? For our spouses, for our children, for our brothers and sisters in Christ in the church. And that, that meaning is naturally found in responsibility because we find Christ in serving our neighbor. So it, it's, it is true that I think Jordan Peterson has really kind of struck a chord with people, but it's how we're already wired by God that is, is what I think people are responding to. And, and it's something we've also tried to talk a lot about in the Antiochian men. Another topic that we talk about a lot in the Antiochian men is brotherhood. And I was hoping you would share your perspective on this, Father Michael. What's been your experience like with being in a brotherhood, in, both in the military and also with your brother clergy? So we have to recognize that abusus non toletusam, uh, misuse does not negate proper use. So when you're looking at that, both clergy and military, as well as like police and firefighter and paramedics, I mean, these are all synonymous with brotherhood. It doesn't mean that everyone who puts on those various uniforms uh, does it well. But what it does mean is that brotherhood the, the, the notion of brotherhood in a, in a real profound way means the voluntary taking of responsibility and care for someone else's well-being. It's looking and saying, um, I have a commitment to you that goes beyond just um, sentiment and feeling and far beyond just like a legal obligation but I choose the good kind of it all. The good I choose to uh, put your well-being at such a high priority that it can even outweigh my own well-being, and that's worth it. Um, I, there's a story back when I was in I was in basic training. Uh, you know, I'll tell I'll tell I, I you know you say hey you said tell the truth and just don't lie. So I'll tell I'll tell the I'll tell I'll tell the not lying version of the story because I was going to like leave out a detail. Um, no, the story is about me. Like I, I didn't want to say that it was about me. That was going to be the lie. I was going to make it about someone else, but no, it's about me. So uh, I was in basic training and we were going for a run and, um, and we had just eaten our first MREs, which it's, it's like 3,500 calories. And they, they, the drills made us uh, chow them down quick. And then we went for a run. So like you had a brick in your stomach and you're running in a formation and I'm not a strong runner anyway um, because because of my diminutive legs and short stature and so I was like ready to fall out we get a couple miles in I'm like I'm done I'm ready to fall out and I know that uh, I know that if I fall out we're probably all gonna have to do push-ups so we're gonna have to do push-ups anyhow like I mean this is this is basic training it's gonna it's gonna be a bad day no matter how it goes so 
I'm ready to fall out. And I start to fall back and I feel this hand on the small of my back. And it was uh, this, uh, this other soldier and who I came to know later as Anthony Sanaferro. And he wasn't in my platoon. He was in the same building. He was in my platoon, but he was right behind me and he wasn't going to let me fall out. And he kept that hand there through the rest of the run. And I did not fall out. I was, I was in there. I stayed in my, we made it back. We made it that couple miles, but he kept that hand right there. He didn't let me fall out. We had never spoken. Like we didn't know each other yet. Um, but he, he was a brother. He's like, no, we're in this together. I have a commitment to you and I'm going to make sure in my power that we stay the course. And we did. And then in the next phase of training AIT, he became a, a good friend of mine. And I mean, I haven't seen him in years, but at the time we were good friends. And then we were in airborne school and at airborne school, uh, we were in the same stick, the same line. And it just so happened that as we were lining up to go out of the planes, I was now right behind him. <laughs> wow. And I don't know of a much better image for brotherhood. It's like yeah. I, I have by default, by my own choice, your back today. And you may need to have my back tomorrow. Yeah. Um, when Christ, it's that it's the essence of what Christ says, you know, no greater love is a man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And I call you my friends. Yeah, that's, that's a beautiful story. And it's a great image for, you know, as we think about the importance of brotherhoods within our parish communities for men who either if they just have joined the church, if they're interested in orthodoxy, maybe they've been orthodox for a long time, being able to bear each other's burdens to have that that place where you're there for each other. I know that's meant a lot to Bryce and myself. Father Joseph, do you have anything to add about uh, this topic of brotherhood? I, I think something that Father Michael said is uh, he said that um, the, not all of the people that put the uniform on are, are great, but they're all still in the brotherhood. Uh, and that led me to, to, to think of St. Dionysius the Areopagite, because when he's talking about both the earthly ranks of hierarchy and the heavenly ranks of hierarchy, those hierarchies within the brotherhood are important. You know, I think that uh, we're, we're really quick uh, to, to um, as Christians, uh, kind of tear down our bishops or to look at our priests and, and, and judge their actions and, and tear them down without having any experience of what it is like to be in their shoes. So as members of the brotherhood, when we're dealing with a hierarchy, understand that that those people have a lot of information that they're privy to that you are not, uh, that, that the demons, especially in the church, want to ruin the hierarchy and they attack the bishops relentlessly. And, and that those members of our brotherhood are incredibly important and need our prayers incessantly. And then something else within the hierarchy that I'm very uh, fond of promoting and pointing out to people is that when we're in the liturgy, that kiss of peace is offered between members of the same rank of the priesthood. You, as the lay priests ordained at your baptism or in your confirmation, are offering the kiss of peace to other lay priests. And that the priests and the deacon, the, the deacons offer it to the deacons, the priests to the priests, the bishops to the bishops. But, but even within, so there's different groups within the brotherhood 
mm. that need to stick together super tight and recognize that they're together. But then there's also different strata that, that we need to, to be aware of and treat a little bit differently and treat with respect and dignity and with more prayer just because of how the hierarchy is structured, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, absolutely. Father Joseph, I've noticed that a lot of inquirers to orthodoxy these days tend to be enamored with orthodox theology and intellectualizing the finer points of what the church teaches. So in many cases, the practical applications are what people end up struggling with the most, with actually living the faith. So what would your advice be to people out there who maybe find themselves in this boat? That's a really good question. I, I tend, I think, like maybe I'm too critical of myself, but I, I tend to be in that camp of over-intellectualizing, uh, which you might not believe, but I, I, I prefer to do that because I do like the finer points of orthodox theology. I like to uh, think about philosophical ideas. So when I, when I meet those inquirers, I tend to gravitate toward, toward them. Uh, but I have a, a very dear friend, uh, Jason, who would listen to my homilies when I was in New York, and he would say, Father, you need to make that more concrete so I can actually do what you're asking me to do. <laughs> and, and I love Jason for that. Uh, he, 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 he's made me since then, and even today, he was listening to one of our podcasts the other day, and he said, you need to make that more, con more concrete, bro. I really <laughs> am struggling to figure out how to actually live that out in my life. But how do we do that? I, th I think we need to take the concept and allow it to be a concept, but then, but then take the concept and bring it into my life as my life is today and look to apply it here and now, not in some imagined future, not in some potential future, not in some idealistic reality that I don't live in, but, you know, it's like yesterday's, uh, the gospel was uh, uh, the, the rich man and, and the feast that 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 his other wealthy uh, friends rejected Christ. I mean, there's a lot of really beautiful concepts there, but at the end of the day, um, Christ is calling us to be to be honest with Him. That He's calling us not to love the world more than I love Him. And then, then if you can take the big concept and boil that down to some more manageable concepts, it's like, and then how do I love Christ more than the world right now? And right now, what am I doing? I'm talking to you all. So how do I show Christ's love to you right now? I can empathize with you, listen to you, offer myself to you, be willing to sacrifice myself and my well-being for your well-being. There's a multiplicity of things that, that are truly Christian that I can do right now on your behalf that are not intellectual, but actually lived out. And uh, just one more thought, I, uh, there's, a, there's a local pastor who, who does a lot of street ministry around here. And I said to him, I said, how do you disciple people? He said, I get them involved. I make sure that they're doing something for another person. Then we talk theology, hmm. which think about that. Father Michael, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think you're, I, I think you're right on. Um, so I dislike uh, now. Again, I mean, our you mentioned that we, you know, we 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 had these we have a history of having these long, complex, 
conversations that go on for a couple of hours. And we, you know, we're no strangers to theologically nerding out over the finer point of, you know, connecting what dot to what dot. But I think what really, what I, I, what I've really come to dislike about people approaching that too early on in their formation with orthodoxy is that it can reduce the depth of the faith to just like another trivia contest. Like, you know, you know, some, you know, some trivia words, you know, some trivia vocabulary, you know, uh, some facts and figures, but you don't have the substance to back any of it up. You know, it's like, okay, you can explain to me the, the, the encyclopedic depths of hestochastic theology. That's fantastic. What does your prayer life look like, man? Because the fathers who gave it to us weren't worried about being walking encyclopedias. They were worried about being masters of prayer. They were worried about doing the thing that you're reading about. Yeah. Um, so I try, I like, so the, the cornerstone for my stuff is what do I need you to do? What do I need to do? Um, and, and that's, so as much as I like the academic stuff, it can become so divorced from the realm of action that it loses its bite. Um, and it can also become kind of cruel because when you're no longer trying to apply it, when you're no longer, you know, when you're no longer in the messiness, in the battlefield and trenches of trying to figure out in a given repentant human life, how we're going to make this particular aspect of Orthodox Christianity happen and work consistently over time for the rest of your biological processes on this earth. If we're not worried about that, but instead we're worried about here's the textbook thing and the textbook category, and here's how it needs to look and check this block and do this. And we treat this person in a materialistic mechanistic way. We can easily be cruel to them as soon as they don't meet the mechanical requirements. And suddenly they become expendable in order to, comply with our mechanical requirements. I'm sorry. That's not the Christ who says, you, you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you tithe mint and cumin, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, Mer generous mercy and truth. You should have done one without neglecting the other. I tell you, the Sabbath is for men, not man for the Sabbath. So like when, when we get enough rubber meets the road, then we can navigate that. But if we, if we just, if we become intellectual encyclopedias, it, it's a quick step to some pretty cruel things. And it, by the measure we judge, that's how we will be judged before the dread judgment seat of Christ. So I, um, I, I, my, my concern for people is get in a parish. It's good that you're reading, get to doing, get in a parish, get to praying, get to repenting, um, it's nice that you can quote everything that St. Gregory Palamas ever wrote, but which is good. It's not bad, but let me know how much of it you're consistently putting into practice. Go yeah. in peace, be filled and warmed. I have something to read. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah that's such a powerful message and an important message because it's honestly, it could be very thrilling if you have never heard about the Orthodox Church and all of a sudden, you know, this, this huge door opens to you and there's so much richness. There's so many things you weren't aware of. Uh, even for those who are in the church, I've been in the church my whole life and I hadn't really 
fully discovered everything. And I don't, I don't think any of us have, there's so much right to the writings of the church fathers. So many of the church fathers writings haven't even been translated into English. And we're, we're really relying on just kind of a segment of what's fully available. So it, it is important though, that you actually live the faith. And that's one thing I think our two podcasts have in common is the practical application piece. The thing I've really enjoyed about on the battlefield is that you all don't just keep it purely an intellectual experience you bring up practical real world examples and encourage your listeners to live the faith. And I think that's something that's just so critically important. I really want to thank you both, Father Michael and Father Joseph. We really appreciate you joining us for this episode of Coming Out of Chaos. And we would like to encourage everyone to listen to the On the Battlefield podcast. We especially recommend it to our listeners, and we strongly believe you will all enjoy it and get a lot out of it. Father Michael, I know you're used to telling people where to find your podcast, so why don't you share with everyone where they can find it? Okay, well, that kind of depends on when you're listening to this. Uh, you can find us presently, as of this recording, on Anchor FM, which is our main uh, our main hosting platform that shares out to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and also on social media, Facebook, on the Battlefield Podcast. And I think it shares out to a couple other platforms as well. We have a YouTube channel where we put our uh, where we put what we call our, uh, it's a, our podcast is bi-weekly for the non-podcast weeks. We have OTB shorts on the battlefield shorts, which are uh, some short videos of us just kind of riffing on ideas on YouTube and Rumble. So depending on when you're listening to this, you can find us on Anchor FM, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and a few other podcasting places, uh, YouTube, Rumble, and Facebook. However, uh, on the battlefield just last week, uh, we just recently got picked up by Ancient Faith Radio. So in the very near future, we're still finalizing uh, just details on uh, clip art and music and, and getting our pilot episodes up. So we haven't fully switched over yet, but in the near future, uh, you will find on the battlefield instead on Ancient Faith Radio. And we are, uh, we're very excited to be part of the largest platform in orthodoxy today. So we're, we're very excited about that. So that's coming up very soon. Oh, that's great. And Father Joseph, I don't know if you noticed, but I got to be you for a moment asking Father Michael to tell everyone where they can find your podcast. That was quite an honor. Hey man, I, I'm, I, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> the pay is awesome. And every week we will increase your salary by 1000%. Double. We're going to double your salary, you're gonna make twice what Father Joseph makes. It's yes. so funny you say that because in the Antiochian men, our our bishop, his grace, Bishop Nicholas, he tells us when we do a, a good job, I'm gonna double your salary. Sometimes he may even say, I'm gonna triple your salary, but triple nothing is still nothing, so. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Um, I also wanted to thank you both for joining us today. Um, it was a very edifying conversation and we really do appreciate your time. So I'm looking forward to re-listening to this myself. And I know, Michael, um, you're looking forward to putting it out and yeah. being able to listen to it as well. So sure. thank you again. I had, a, I had a really good time. Thank you both for inviting us on today. Uh, it, was, it was a joy to get to know you and to be able to talk, to, uh, talk about things that are important to, uh, I assume, not just the four of us. It was an absolute pleasure and an honor. Thanks, guys, for having us on. God bless you. May the Holy Trinity bless and protect you always. Thank you, fathers, very much. Well, that's our show for today. Thank you for joining us for this special episode of Coming Out of Chaos. Remember to check out our website at antiochianmen.org to learn more about our organization. 
We also have many videos available that can be found on that website as well as on our Amen YouTube channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on any of the major podcasting platforms. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We would appreciate a positive review if the platform allows you to do so. And please share this podcast with your friends and help us to spread the word about it. Also, if anyone would like to send us any feedback or have any questions for us, just send an email to amendomse at gmail.com. That's A-M-E-N-D-O-M-S-E at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions or comments for us. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next time.